0: My name is Emily Rudolph, and I have the privilege of working on staff here at Watermark. I work with the women's equipping. I'm the women's equipping director, so I work with the women's Bible studies. We did the women's retreat this year. and we woohoo! Woohoo! It was fun! She did a great job. Um, And we do some things like this, and so super excited um, for you guys to be here this morning, for you to meet other women, for you to learn from Mary Clayton, and just... um, that, that we are all a work in progress, especially in this lesson of contentment, and yes. so not that we have it all together, no, but we are we learning as we go. Yes.
1: So we're I will all let May, in process. Absolutely. So I will let Mary Clayton introduce herself. Okay, I'm Mary Clayton Wood, and I'll just tell y'all a little bit about myself, but before I even do that, I just want y'all to know that Emily and I truly feel like we are a work in process. We don't want to be on anyone's pedestal, um, because we struggle with the issue of contentment just as much as you and the next person, and this is something that we will always be in process over until we meet Christ and see Him face to face. I think this is an issue at the very heart of every woman, really from the age. I would say 11 or 12 on for the rest of your life and you you you're always going to be struggling about new issues and different issues so it's for anyone of all ages and um, I'm just a little bit about myself I'm married to Hunter Wood we met in college we went to the University of Richmond and we met in college he grew up in New Orleans Louisiana and I grew up in Richmond Virginia and um we fell in love in college and we got married the month after we graduated from college. So I went from living with my parents into a dorm for four years because at the University of Richmond, if any of y'all have been there, know you live on campus all four years. And then the month after I graduated, I went to living in a house with my husband. And so it was quite an experience for the both of us because he did the same thing. And um, we lived in Richmond for our first four years of marriage. We helped plan an inner city church down there. Then we moved to New York City for five years. And we had our first two kids there, Hunt and Kathy Jean. Moved to Dallas 11 years ago. Had our third child, Saunders, the week after we moved here. So I flew from uh, New York to Dallas full term in a big raincoat so nobody would know. And um, had Saunders. And then we had Beckham a... Almost five years ago. So we have a 14-year-old son, a 12-year-old daughter, 10-year-old son, and 4-year-old little girl Becca May. And um, is that enough about me for now?
0: Totally. And I I forgot to introduce or to tell you guys a little bit about me. So I have a little bit of a different story than Mary Clayton. I... um, Graduate. So I, my, I'm, my dad is an army um, doctor, and so we moved around. I lived nine different places growing up. I moved every uh-huh. two years after sixth grade. So, I um, just lived all over the place. And then I went to college at Kansas State. And then um, a couple years after I graduated college, I moved down to Dallas um, to work in the corporate world and hang out. And then. Um, The Lord, as He does, changes your plans, and I was always loving working with women's leadership and development, and so as Watermark grew, um, I was asked to come on staff here at Watermark, and so I've been on staff for about four years, it wasn't a part of my plan at all to um, leave corporate America and come on staff, but I love doing that, and then a couple years ago, I met my husband at Watermark, and so we got married um, two years ago, I got married at 29, so had um, a lot of years of living through singleness and loving and learning to love and being content in that season and um, yeah so we've been married two years and we do not have any children we just have a two year old yellow lab that is our only child and she really is our only child because she's spoiled (laughs) totally totally spoiled
1: so And they got her from a rescue mission, but went through many stages of dating before they were allowed to adopt. (laughs) It was quite the process to adopt our lab. I will tell you all about it someday. It's a great, great story. Okay, wonderful. Well, welcome. Welcome to Watermark. We don't know if this is your first time here. Raise your hand if this is your very first time to Watermark. Okay, so no brand newbies here today. Well, we just want to welcome you to this seminar. We hope that this day you'll be able to get a clearer picture of God's purpose for women in the area of contentment. We pray that we will give you some tools to help you when you're feeling discontent in your life and how to pursue Christ in a very real way through that struggle, that we will all learn to struggle well in that place, and that when we can really get to a point... With some consistency where we can say, like Paul, we have learned to be content in all situations. Now, as women, we sometimes get to that point and then move away from it. But hopefully after today, we will get to that point more often and stay there longer. So before we begin, let's open in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that the church has made this opportunity For us as women to dig into your word, to dig into your purpose and plan for us to become contented women in Christ, in you, Lord God, and who you've made us. And that today, Lord, we could really glean from your word and from the examples that you've given us through the life of Eve to move from a place of discontentment to contentment in whatever struggle that we have. And it's in your precious name, Lord Jesus, and we welcome you into this place that you will have your way in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the Bible is a love letter from God to mankind. It's really a love story between God and his creation. And the first book in the Bible, there are 66 books in the Bible, written by over 50 authors over a span of thousands of years. And the first one is the book of Genesis. Can everyone say Genesis? From Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end, we see God coming in the midst of his creation To love us. The beginning of Genesis begins in the Garden of Eden, in creation, where God creates the six, uh, on six days, he creates everything, including man, and on the seventh day, he rests. Now, our seminar today has nothing to do with rest, but I'm just going to put that plug in, because I don't think anyone in Dallas, Texas ever rests anymore. Do you all? Are you all living a day of Sabbath each week? Oh, a few of you are. Okay, good. Most of us aren't. But man's first day was a day of rest. I always just like to plug that because we in Dallas live with very little margin. And even God himself had a day of rest after his creation. And instituted that for one day out of every week. So the book of Genesis tells us a lot about the will of God. Man was created and woman. When I say man in this context, I mean man and woman. Mankind was created to have fellowship with God. And God created Adam and Eve in his image and if you will, in his spitting image. So when I was little and even now, even recently when I visited my hometown, Richmond, Virginia, people would come up to me at forty one years old, well this was like four years ago and they go, Are you Rob Saunders' daughter? And I would say, What do you mean about Rob Saunders daughter? They go, Honey, you are his spitting image And I'd be like, I'm his spit how I mean my dad, I don't want to look like a man. I remember as a child thinking, I wish No one else would say I'm in my dad's spitting image. Because at the age of 12, I wanted to be beautiful. If anything, I wanted to look like my mother. But what they were saying was what? You look just like your dad. You are reflecting your dad in your mannerisms, by the way you walk, by the way you talk, by your face. And God likewise created you and me in his image. And he wants us to reflect his image. Does that make sense? When we are reflecting his image, we can really come into a place of contentment and satisfaction with who we are. Okay, so God places Adam and Eve in the midst of this garden in Genesis 2 and 3, and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, he gives them a few instructions. You want me to read that now? Can we gen- start with Genesis 2? Okay. Does anyone have a Bible? Or an iPhone Bible. Okay, so if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 2 and 3. I'm going to skip around just a little bit, starting with verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, where and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, before we go on, let me just define the word Eden. The Garden of Eden in the Hebrew means Garden of Pleasure. God so desires for you and I to live a life of pleasure. Now that seems like it's a surprise to, some, to many people today because why? What is the world's message to us about God? Do most people in the world think that God has pleasure in store for us? I mean, personally on the street, I hear people say that God's plan for us is strict, it's harsh, God is a boring God, he's, he's so moral, he's tough that's not the case at all. The Lord has pleasure intended for all of us within the boundaries of his garden. So he places man and woman in his garden, which is the garden of pleasure. So skip over to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, or the garden of pleasure, to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man that he should be alone. I will make him a helper, comparable or complimentary to him. So, he did so in verse 20. Keep going. Move over to 25. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay. So God put Adam and Eve, he's not yet named them, but he put Adam and Eve in the garden. They were naked and they were unashamed. So the Lord places them in a beautiful, beautiful place. Close your eyes just for one second. Close your eyes, just forget about everything else that this day holds. And I just want to give you a mental picture of this. If you could have anything and everything that you ever wanted... Financial security. A perfect doting husband. A voluptuous figure. Skinny but full. <laughs> Keep your eyes closed. Okay, just picture yourself like this. That you could have very obedient children and or grandchildren. That you are drop-dead gorgeous. That you have a stunning home with all the antiques or modern furniture that you want. Beautiful jewelry and clothes. That you are so exquisite that you didn't even have to compare yourself to others. Would this make you happy? Just think about it. Just put yourself. Be honest with yourself. If this isn't the picture of perfection in your mind, you can create that picture for a second here. Of that perfect life in your mind. Okay, open your eyes. Now I ask you the question, would this make you happy? be honest, do you think this would make you happy? Yes! Okay, can I hear a few more yeses? Would this make you happy? We think it would, don't we? Okay, y'all, Eve had all of this and more, metaphorically speaking. She had no women to compare herself to. So, her figure was the only one out of saw. He wasn't watching Desperate Housewives on TV or anything like that. He wasn't dealing with sinful billboards up and down 75 in the toll road. He wasn't walking past Victoria's Secret at North Park Mall. Okay, when we walk, well, actually, we go around the mall so we don't walk by Victoria's Secret. But if for some reason we end up there, I'm like, everyone turn. Turn the other way. Don't look. Okay? Eve had none of this to deal with. And yet, she still will want a little bit more. So before we get into her temptation, let's define what is contentment. Huh? Oh yes, first we have a clip, thanks to Emily Rudolph, from Confessions of a Shopaholic.
0: Has anyone seen that maybe? okay perfect hey um, just real quick you have a handout on your table to follow along um, just so you know also it, it looks like this it says um, wanting more a women struggle with contentment so it should be on your table if not there's more back there or, um, but we haven't actually started the handout so it's fine yeah, if you don't have you it yet. but I, I see some of you searching for I'll, it let so me I have just one. wanted to um, do that real quick okay so this who's seen the movie Okay, perfect. So I, hadn't, I haven't seen the movie, but um, this is a scene. My friends were like, oh, my gosh, this is your perfect movie. This is a scene. Um, this, the main character is so a shopaholic, as you can tell by the, um, by the title. And she is never satisfied, always wants more. So watch how she justifies in this scene um, a little bit of what she needs to make her content. Yeah. It's going to play going to play it.
1: You just got a credit card bill of $900. You do not need a scarf. Then again,
0: who needs a scarf? Wrap some old jeans around your neck. That'll keep you warm. That's what your mother would do. You're right,
1: she would. The point about this scarf is that it would become part of a definition of you your psyche. Do you see what I mean? No, I do. I, I keep
0: talking. Mm-hmm. It would make your eyes look bigger.
1: <laughs> mm. It <laughs> would make my haircut look more expensive. You'd wear it with everything. It would be an investment. You would walk into that Alette interview confident, confident and poised. poised. The girl in the green scarf. Okay, now some of y'all may not be shopaholics, but this is a very shallow example that is deeply embedded in all of our sinful hearts in one area or another. Just something a little bit more in the area of our desire than what we currently have will make us happy. That's what we believe. We believe it from small childhood all the way on. My four-year-old, okay, the fourth is really whacked out to boot. But the fourth child in the family, much younger, becomes discontent. The fourth child, she's four, and she still every week wants a new dress. I'm like, where is this coming from? This is crazy. Just another... Oh, surprises make me so happy, Mom. They make me so happy. What is my surprise? I mean, Hunter comes home from every business trip with greeting her at the door to say, What surprise did you bring me this time? And if he says, Well, I didn't have time, Mmm. Mopey the rest of the day. Okay, all the way up. At 12, you start to think, If I have better friends. If I have more friends. If I have the right friends. if If I'm more athletic. High school. Same story. College. It just builds. You get married. You think... If I have the right children. The lie never ends. So you've got to learn to deal with it wherever you are to ever be content. What does the word contentment mean? Okay, this is the first one on your handout so you can grab your pens. The Webster's Dictionary tells us... Where are we? It is a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction with what one is or has not wanting more or anything else. Did y'all hear that? Now a lot of times Christians define words differently than the Webster's does. Like you'll have joy, which is very different. A God-given joy is very different than the worldly joy. Here's the same thing in the Greek and in Webster's. A sense of fulfillment and satisfaction with what one is or has not wanting more or Or anything else. Now, the Greek word, "artarkes," in the Greek, it means biblically, strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support, independent of external circumstances. You don't have to write all this down. You can just write down your favorite phrase. Contentment. This is my favorite one. Biblically, it is contented with one's lot, with one's means. Comma, though the slenderest. It's the picture of contentment that Paul gives us. That he has learned to be content in all circumstances. So his spiritual contentment rises above his circumstances. Now, do you all want to feel this way? Raise your hand if you want to feel this way. This is how I want to live my life. Can you imagine how much more joy you would have if you could live in this state of being consistently? Think about how many more people you would lead to Christ. Because Jesus says in John 17, the world will know me by how well you can love them. And you cannot love the world when you're just thinking about yourself. I cannot reach out and share the gospel with people when I'm just thinking about myself. Okay, now, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's First Timothy 6.6. 6. And then Paul says what I, just, what I just quoted to you. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere, did y'all hear what he just said? Everywhere and in all things. Wow. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. This week I was at a birthday luncheon, and actually it was a birthday luncheon with all Christians, all Christian girls. And before I walked into it, but I knew a couple of them were struggling with some different some different serious sin issues, actually. And I, and I, I remember pulling up to this restaurant and not getting out of my car until I prayed. I said, Lord, I really pray that you would help me. To bring spiritual blessing to this luncheon, that this hour and a half when I leave, I wouldn't say this was just a waste of time. Do you ever just leave a luncheon like that was the biggest waste of time? Nothing was talked about, nothing was discussed, whether it's with Christians or not. It just it was it ended up being a waste of time. So I walk in and I'm I mean I have every best intention to you know talk about the Lord and to make a plug. After all, these are all Christians, but someone gets on the topic of jeans and shoes, and it just took a nosedive. And it's like I kept trying to pull it back in. There's nothing wrong with discussing jeans and shoes. I mean, it could have been a more serious topic. It happened to be jeans and shoes at this luncheon. And at the end of the luncheon, I walked out, and you know what I said? That was a total waste of time. That had no eternal impact for me or anybody else. I just wasted an hour and a half and talked about jeans and shoes. And furthermore, I didn't have very much contentment because I literally started thinking, I think I need to go get some new jeans and shoes. When they started talking about all these jeans and shoes and where to go, I started thinking, I need more jeans and shoes. Now, the issue is not jeans and shoes. The issue is that we're constantly in environments where we think just a little bit more will make us happy. A little bit more will not make you happy. If your kids are a little bit more obedient, that will not make you happy. If you have just a little bit more attentive husband, you think that will make you happy. It won't. Our whole life, we're just full of challenges that try to draw us away from Christ into a place of discontentment. And our goal today is to get back to that place where we are contented with the lot in life the Lord has given us, with our means, whether they're great or small. Okay, so let's introduce Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3. And then we're going to talk about who we are as people. You know, we have to begin with the end in mind. Until we know really who we are and why we feel and think the way we do, it's very difficult to change. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "'Has God indeed said, "'You shall not eat of every tree of the garden?' Good for food, number two, pleasant to the eyes, number three, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. We'll stop there for a second. A second. Okay, so here we see Adam and Eve, and we're going to talk about who they are as people for a minute. You and I are triune beings. The Bible teaches that we are made up of three parts: body, soul, and spirit. We are all made up of three parts: body, soul, and spirit. And in some some Greek words would only say body and soul and combine soul and spirit. But for the purposes of our lesson today, we'll say we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. And those. Do we have that up there? Okay, body. What is our body? Our body is our earth consciousness. Our exterior. Our five senses. Our body wants to eat food. That's our body. Our soul. Our soul is made up of basically three things. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. The soul, unfortunately, is often ruled by impulse. If it is not under subjection of the Holy Spirit, we live by impulse. It's our self-consciousness. You know when you go somewhere and all of a sudden you feel like everyone is overdressed and I'm underdressed? Or I'm overdressed and everyone else is underdressed? Or you go into a place and you go, oh my gosh, everyone's a lot smarter than I am here. And you feel intimidated? That's your soul speaking to you. That's your personality. It's your character makeup. And then thirdly, our spirit Our spirit is our God consciousness. It's our conscience as well. Ecclesiastes tells us, eternity is placed into the hearts of all men. So even before you become a Christian, you have a conscience, right? Now you can dole your conscience through the culture or through your choices, but you are given a conscience. Conscience. Until you know Christ, your spirit is dead. Paul says, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But when you come to know Christ, your spirit is made alive in Christ. And all of a sudden, you have a strong sense of conviction. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so these are our three parts. Our body, our soul, and our spirit. In 1 Corinthians, Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. Praise God. He's dependable. We're not. But when we lean on him... We find him fully dependable to change us, to become who we are called to always be. If he said it, he'll do it. Do you have anything you want to add? Nothing yet. Okay, Emily's going to pipe in if she she thinks of anything. Okay, so we're dealing with the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. We're going to see that Eve's focus was in the wrong place. She's questioning God's goodness and God's plan for her life, even though it seems all but perfect, right? It seems, I mean, what what could be imperfect about it? He's given them free reign over the garden. He's given them the tree of life, which is his eternal life. It's a picture of Christ in the garden, his eternal life. He wants them to make the choice to eat from that tree, to eat from the tree of God, to eat from the tree of life. The only, quote, no, if you will, that he has given them is not to partake of the tree of the garden of evil. Why do you think, just anyone like to answer, why do you think the Lord put this tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden and said, don't touch it? Any bold answer? Give me an answer. Okay, that's a really good one. He was trying to place authority over them in some way and say, hey, I'm the boss, and so I'm going to give you one no. You know, when, when we had our first child, I'll never forget this. I, everything was no in our house. I'd be like, no, don't touch that. No, don't touch that. Don't touch the fireplace. Da, da, da. Well, I said so, no so many times that Hunt never heard me anymore. I mean, it was like everything's no, so that means really everything's yes. And a friend said, oh, no, you never give a baby more than three no's. They can't handle it. Because then they stop hearing you. Well, furthermore, God only gave them one no. Don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. Okay, what's another guess you'll have? He wanted to establish his authority. Right and wrong. He wanted to give them a set. What's options? What's another word for options? Choice or free will. He didn't want robot believers. He didn't want robot disciples. If they didn't have any choice or any free will... There was no true authentic fellowship. So he just places one no. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from it or you will surely die. Now he didn't mean a physical death. What he meant was a spiritual death. That their spirits would not be annihilated, but they would become alienated from him. Okay, and that's what sin does in our life, doesn't it? It doesn't annihilate our spirit, but it alienates us from that communion and that fellowship with the Lord. So, unfortunately, she is fixating on the wrong thing. Now, just a little blurb here. Guys, if you know of a sin issue, or even if it's not a sin issue, even if it's a God-given desire, if you focus on it too much for too long and you fixate on it, it will overcome you. We're called to train our minds to turn away from the obsessions, whether sinful obsessions or God given desires that are overextended and become obsession, obsessions. A frequent one is for a single person to be married, a married person who's struggling with infertility to have children, a, children, a parent with adult children who has a prodigal. I mean, it never ends. It will. Face you every stage of your life, and you've got to learn to pivot your thoughts away from that obsession. So, we have two trees the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Good. The tree of knowledge of good and evil symbolizes self fulfillment. If I could only have this, I would feel fulfilled, whatever that is. Full and true knowledge of good and evil, which only God's character can discern. She did not want to be under God's authority to choose for her, even though he'd given her everything. And then the tree of life. The tree of life is the life of Christ. All that is good. All that God provides in his goodness. And he simply asked them not to eat from this one tree. Now, Satan is going to come along and pose three questions. You have anything? Okay. I want to make sure I'm deferring to my wonderful side partner here.
0: Well, you know, it is, um, I think when I was single, I thought, this is only a single issue. This is not a married issue. Once I get married, Mm -hmm. I won't struggle anymore. I won't think, gosh, if only, because that's all, that's all the one thing I ever wanted, right? And and that's not true. And that's, I think, one of the biggest lies as singles that you can believe that once you get to be Mm -hmm. married, you won't desire anything anymore because it goes back to the garden. Eve had everything, and yeah. she wanted one more thing, right? And so we always will want one more thing. And I think the biggest lie as singles we can believe is just just this one thing, God. Yeah. I will never ask for anything more. Um, and so that's that's a key thing, just um, from what the lesson that I learned just in my singleness um, to really mm-hmm. believe. Hey, this is a I can be content in all seasons. It's not a singleness issue. So that's my, yeah.
1: Amen, sister. (laughs) Okay, so the serpent is going to pose three things. The serpent is Satan. This is before he has been cursed to the ground. So many commentators actually believe he was either a beautifully winged creature. But he was certainly a delight to the eyes because this is before he's cursed at the end of Genesis 3. So, so many commentators say in some form or fashion he was very attractive. Now, Satan does always typically come to us if we're single, since she's addressing singles, in an Armani suit and a BMW. But he doesn't have two horns and a pitchfork. Uh, on the surface, that is. <laughs> um, my, okay, so he's going to come in a beautiful fashion. And he's going to pose three ideas three things just remember john 8:44 satan is the father of all lies he cannot speak the truth and whenever he does use scripture which he does use scripture at times it's in a distorted way that is not in the context of what god intended Satan is the father of lies, and he can only come to lie. He never comes to bring truth or bring life. So number one, in 3.1, he misquotes God. He said, God did not say that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That's not what God said. He misquoted God. So Satan comes to us to distort the truth, number one. What had God said? It's just a little bit of a difference, but what had God actually said? What did God say, Lynn? What did God said? You can eat of every tree. See, He distorts it from God's intention. God's intention was, it's all yours. Just don't take from this tree. Satan comes to him and says, comes to her and says, Did God not say that you can't eat from every tree? He takes a positive and turns it into a negative. Do you get the difference? It's very slight, but it's significant. And then Eve responds with a false truth and exaggeration. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. God never actually said that. He never said, Don't touch it. She exaggerates and takes that into a half-truth and exaggeration. He just said, Don't eat from it. Okay, so number two, Satan... Lies to her and says, You will not surely die. In verse 4, the serpent said to her, You shall not surely die. Well, it's true that she wouldn't die physically, but she would die spiritually. And then 3, finally, he tempts her with the thought that you will be like God. Look at it. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. Is she ever going to be like God? No. She was created in the image of God. But she will never be like God. So he's trying to pull her out from under God's authority. Which is our next point. Her three desires. One, to have no limits. Satan was exciting her personal ambition to excel. Two, to have no consequences. And three, to have no authority. You can be like God, he says. Well, the bottom line is, if you're a woman, you do want to be your own boss, don't you? (laughs) We all want to be our own boss. I was at a dinner party recently, and I was so stunned. I was pleasantly surprised and stunned by the honesty of someone sitting next to me. We were having a conversation about what they believed in the way of correction among friends. Meaning, if you love somebody enough... And they're close friends, shouldn't you correct them if you see something not right in their life? And likewise, shouldn't they correct you? And this girl sat next to me, she goes, I wrote down the quote, she goes, I don't want anyone correcting me. I'm not going to be friends with anyone who's going to be correcting me. And I thought, oh my gosh, she's just pulled out the safety net from underneath herself. If we don't want correction, we have no spiritual safety net. To pursue Christ fully. And she basically was just saying, Okay Mary Clayton, we can have fun, we can socialize, we can talk about spiritual things, but if you try to correct something in my life, I'm out of here. That was Eve. She didn't want authority. She didn't want correction. She didn't want boundaries, if you will. 1 John 2, 5, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Does anyone have any questions before we go on? That verse? That's first John 2:15 through17. And that's going to—that's kind of a prelude into our next issue. Our big three struggles are going to be in the area of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and or the boastful pride of life. But before we go on, does anyone have any questions or comments or thoughts? Are you all tracking with us? <laughs> okay. All right, well, we're going to have our person. Yeah. yeah, so we want to... This time,
0: we don't just want to be talking at you. We want to give you time um, to think and process this um, by yourself and then also talk at your table and get to know some other gals. So we want to take a few minutes now and just ask the question, how do you relate to Eve? Ah, There you go. Okay. So just take some time and think through how do you relate to Eve? What are your desires? for your current stage of life maybe some of those things that you think will make you um, happy and content apart from God and then some of those things that just are godly desires that you think will make you content Um, so just take some time we're just going to spend a few minutes just personalizing this and going okay we all have Eve inside of her and what does that mean to me in my life okay ladies we're going to bring it back I know we could all talk forever because, you know, there's only a few desires that we feel. Not many. I mean, we could probably talk all day about all these things and how we relate really to So we'd love to just hear from some of the tables. What are some of the things that you said? It doesn't have to be your thing. You can just throw somebody else under the bus. I'm <laughs> um, <laughs> What are some of the things you guys talked about at your tables? Just yell it out. Comparing yourself to others. Comparing yourself to others. That's a great one. What else? How did you relate to Eve? What, um, what are the, some of the things that, that you found um, that you relate to Eve on? I can say my unhealthy desire for success in my career. Success in your career. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Make you happier. <laughs> yeah. If you're not married,
0: you want to be. If you're, not, if you're married, you don't want to be. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> not all the
1: days. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. I love the honesty. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great point because that is what we're trying to really relay. So you can just start to take a deep breath and rest in the stage of life you're in. Because if you can become content where you are right now, you'll much more easily find contentment in your next stage of life. And if you aren't content where you are, it's going to be very hard in the next stage to ever become content. Yes. Thank you. All right. So now we're, what we're going to do now is we're going to move into the three areas of temptation, That John talks about in 1 John 2.16. These are the same three areas of temptation, if you want to read later, that Jesus was tempted by Satan on the Mount of Transfiguration. These are the three areas of temptation that are just common to mankind. And they're the ones that Satan used with Eve in the garden. They are one, the lust of the eyes, the things that you look at, the things that you see. Two, the lust of the flesh, these are the things that we can taste or feel, and then the boastful pride of life, the desire to be viewed as wise and well able to make your own independent decisions separate from the Lord. And once again, all of these issues can be either sinful temptations or God-given desires that have become Overblown. So it can be in either category. Now, what we're going to do, we want to throw out some questions. What are some lust of the eyes for you? We have tons listed, but we want to know what y'all are struggling with in these three areas. What are your struggles in the lust of the eyes? Things that you look at, things that you see. Yes. Yeah. To be skinny. Stylish. To be skinny and stylish, what? Things that
0: sparkle. Things that sparkle. Things that sparkle. <laughs> Things North that... Park.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, Dallas. is, I just have to throw this in. Dallas is so much more materialistic than New York City. Like, I, we lived in New York City for five years, and I never struggled with materialism until I moved to Dallas. It is the things that sparkle are everywhere. In New York City, it's a very level playing ground because everyone rides the subway. Everyone wears jeans and a coat. Everyone wears black. It's funny because I came here, and people were like, oh, you just came from the fashion center of the world. I'm like, well, not really. I think I just landed in the fashion center of the world. We are so tempted in Dallas. By the lust of the eyes. You just don't realize it because it's like that frog in the pot. Everyone's heard this example. And how that water is turned on slowly to a boiling point. Because it's done so slowly, the frog never jumps out. He stays in the water pot and dies when it gets to boiling. It's like that. It's very insidious. And over time, what you thought was materialistic you then begin to consider just maintenance. <laughs> just normal. No, I, yeah, just normal. Everyone does it's the it. the new normal. The new Dallas normal.
0: And that can be at church just as much yes. as it can be at, in the business world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can be, you know, on Sunday morning. Oh, gosh, look at her cute outfit or yeah. the, you know, size of her ring or the a cute haircut that she has. You know, that can be at this place, um, watermark, just as much as it can be in the business world or, mm-hmm. you know,
1: in... Mom things or business luncheons. And are you really worshiping and listening to the message when you're thinking about these things? You can't. You can't really do both at the same time. Okay, what are some other lusts of the eyes? Yes. Prince Charming. Charming. Good looking guys. My husband said, make sure you tell them that this is a man's greatest struggle Struggle is a woman's body and to please cover it at church. (laughs) He did. He said he cannot believe how many women are scantily clad on Sunday morning for worship. That it's such a distraction. And he feels like, you know what, when we go to church, we should not be dealing with the lust of the eyes. I know I'm going to have to deal with it at other places. When I come into the Lord's house, I don't want to deal with that. I want to be able to worship fully with the band and receive the word of God. Uh, A couple more that we came up with were Facebook it's the lust of the eyes. I mean, you know. You know you're comparing. You're compa- Yes, you know you're comparing. It's Facebook in and of itself evil. No, we're not saying that. Somebody said yes Oh, here. some people are thinking yes. Okay, well, we can talk about that later. Uh, but the point is, is that that's not a necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but it, but it can start to consume the lust of the eyes. What's a, a couple more, a couple more. Houses. Yes. Yes. What size house? Where the house? What kind of house? How it's furnished? These things that can consume our lives. Okay, let's move on. Oh, are there more? Yes, please. Education. That's really good. We put that one under the boastful pride of life. Uh, But that's good. You know, maybe saying, I went to such and such school. And, you know, this is something I think parents and grandparents even struggle with, where their children or grandchildren will go to college and how they can tout that sweatshirt or that ball cap. It's, all hard. it's a hard issue, but these things really do consume our lives. Okay, uh, any more before we move to lust of the fle- uh, flesh? Okay, two, lust of the flesh. The things that you can taste and feel. Where are some honest struggles in the room? <laughs> what?
0: No no struggles. We'll just move on. We're good. (laughs) We did have an answer back
1: here. That's such... Thank you for being being honest. I think that that's a very common struggle. You feel like your life's on pause. Yeah. Yeah, Kristen is saying just the struggle of feeling like you don't know your life's purpose in this stage and watching everyone around you seeming to be very fruitful or busy or active or purposeful. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, I have a... Yes. So Kristen's saying that she feels she's not actually envying what other people's are having or having or doing or being, but it's more the state her in state of inertia at the moment of feeling like her life isn't moving and or isn't purposeful. Yes. Why not me? Why not now? Yes. And you know what? These are great questions to bring before the Lord. There's nothing wrong with coming before the throne of grace on your knees, crying, Lord, why not me? Why not now? The, the challenge then is to end that prayer time like Jesus did in the garden of gethsemane where he says nevertheless lord not my will but thine be done so the lord doesn't mind those questions he doesn't mind being argued with even it's just if we at some point we have to stop arguing and then say but lord nevertheless not my will but thine it's getting to that place where at the end of that argument we can really submit to him and really
0: believing that he has good good things for you, regardless yes. if they turn out to be a husband or a great job yes. or whatever, but that, that he really does love you, that he really does, um, you really are created in his image and you really, he really has good plans for you. And he defines what good is, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things that I realized as I you know started really thinking through what are the things that would make me content and temptations that I have, what are the lies that I'm believing about God? What are the things that I'm not trusting that that is really true about who he is and that that doesn't make it easier right it still it still leaves me where i am it still leaves me with friends getting married or friends getting great jobs or whatever but but somehow taking my eyes off of who i am and who he is um it's just is just good and so we're going to keep talking about that but um it is not this we could go on and on for hours yeah. about the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. And it is not, you know, Satan coming to you, knocking on the door with his big horns. Like you said, it's always things that, that are um, good or desirable. But they, can, but they can be struggles in the midst of it.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, Eve's real issue was that she... Over time, somehow, we we don't know how long it took or how it occurred exactly. But over time, she had a distorted, distorted view that God didn't have her best interest in his heart. That's why she was willing to partake of the one forbidden fruit. She came to a place where her view of God was distorted. Does that make sense? And she didn't see that God had her best interest in mind. And that allowed her to move to a place of self-deception where she took of the fruit. She questions his, his goodness. And the, one of the most important things in our lives is that we have a correct view of God. And a correct view of who he is. And his love for us. Okay, well, uh, Emily came up with some really good lusts of the flesh. She said, exercise... Exercise is a great thing, but it can become an obsession. Health, health is a great thing, but it can become all-consuming. <laughs> I have like 30 relatives in another city who have gone on this new diet where they put drops under their tongues. Have you all heard about this HCG? Dr. Oz came out way against it. But anyway, um, and I have like family members who have lost 50, 60, 70 pounds on it, and they all are happy. They're all threatened. As soon as they quit taking the drops, guess what happened? They started gaining weight back. So they're back on the drops. Like 20 of my cousins. And I'm like, you know what? There is no quick fix. There is just no quick fix. Another one, delicious food, gourmet meals, obsession with your looks. She put this, eyelashes, tan, manicured look. Did you put all that? We did, together. we did that together. Okay. I don't happen we to have... We did together. Well, I don't happen to have... I do have my nails done, but I don't happen to have uh, false eyelashes. Okay, three. Let's move on to the boastful pride of life. This was a part of Eve that didn't have to do with the physical aspects of her life. This is where we're moving more into the intellectual... Views, the philosophical views that she had of God, the spiritual views. It has to do with education, as someone just pointed out. What are some other ways that we really take pride? Some of y'all in this room don't even like to shop, so this is not an issue for you at all, but they're heart and intellectual issues that you're dealing with. Based in pride, rooted in pride, rooted in excellence, being excellent. Success at work being driven, and as an independent woman? Yes. Yes. She said to take pride that her child wasn't the biter. I love it. Yes. It's really, it'll just eat up every bit of joy in your life. I mean... The issue of like, oh, my children are more obedient. Well, I never had that, so I never had to deal with that. (laughs) I remember one time when my oldest was three, and we were at this little birthday party, and this other little boy, I mean, not only was he the biter, he was the pincer, he was the this, and I was like, oh, Hunt will never act like that. And I mean, in all of my fullness of pride, and my best friend at the time, when we lived up in there, she is, her name was Cindy, she always manages to pull the rug out from her. She goes, don't worry, he'll do it at the next party because of your pride. The Lord has a way of getting us back. Okay, the next party, he was horrible. So the Lord has a way of humbling us in the midst of that as well. I never say that anymore. Any others? Um, Yes. Ah!
0: Chrissy, who are you getting, girl?
1: Okay. Thank you for your honesty. What's your name? Chrissy's saying just the spirit of competition. You know, with one person in particular, like if they go on a fancy trip, she needs to go on one of them. If they, now they're engaged, so now she wants to be engaged. Yes, that boastful pride that you want to be, it's back to the compare. It's really the sin of comparison. Rather than focusing on where you are with the Lord. And counting the blessings, it's that comparison. Any others? And
0: ladies, we can be competitive against each other um, probably more than we are against men a lot of times. That mm-hmm. that as women, we notice each yeah. other more than probably men notice us in that way, right? Like, yeah. And so just just to be um, able to lay that before the Lord and go, I don't want to be competing against my sister. I want to build her up in Christ. Just as much as I would want someone to build me up in Christ. Because we're all insecure in our own way. And so, yeah, I think that's a great point of just being um, competitive against each other. Yes.
1: What you're saying never changes. It never changes. It's just a whole different set of issues. Your athletic carpools. I mean, it just, it never stops. And it's so tiring, isn't it? And all she's saying are all good things. It's all in the name of excellence. But it is so tiring. And it takes away the strength that we need to have to serve the Lord, to have fellowship with the Lord, to truly engage spiritually with others. It's exhausting. Now, I do have to say something quite funny with my... Okay, who here has four children? I know we've got one. Who else in the house has four children? Okay, I don't know how you were by your fourth, but Becca May, my four-year-old, looks like a homeless child half the time. I got so tired. I mean, my other daughter, Pigtails, bows. Smock, I mean, everything, every day of school, I mean, I was totally into that stage. By the time Becca came around, I was so daggum tired. Literally, she wore a shirt the other day to preschool that had two holes and stains and hand-me-down Nike warm-up shorts. And when I walked her into the preschool, and everyone else in that class, it's either their first or second child. They all, literally, I got the eye. They were like, oh, and I was like, fourth child." Sports child. If you don't have one you'll never understand, but if you do, you will. So there's a point where you just get so tired of all that. Well, and as you say that I'll get you I, I really I mean, if we logged how many hours a day, if it's Pinterest or whatever it is, Facebook exercising, whatever your Achilles hit, if you log that compared to how much time you're spending with the Lord, you'll immediately know why you're discontent. Because what goes in comes out, right? Crap in, crap out. Pinterest in, Pinterest out. The Lord in, joy out. The Bible in, the fruits of the Spirit out. It really, it comes down to that, that we're feeding, we're feeding our souls with all this junk. And we won't be content when we're doing that. I'm not content when I'm doing that. Yes. Wow. That's, I had never thought of that. Adult sibling rivalry. Adult sibling rivalry and the pride of the accomplishments of the family or the children or whatever. Yes. So good. I think that's a very, uh, a struggle very common to She's saying, you know, making lists of what this week should look like this month her life and what happens when those lists don't have all the numbers crossed through. And then you feel overwhelmed. Then you feel like you haven't accomplished. And what will you accomplish? Yes. It just, well, it sounds like there's an obsession with lists. Got it. Okay, uh, we had a couple of others. It, it, does anyone? I, so, okay, this is a big one. Okay. No, no, I mean, meaning this issue, this boastful pride of life, this, is, the, the this number three.
0: Well, actually, we actually have that on our list we, actually. Did. we put the church can be a site uh, you know how often are you here? Who's are you in leadership? Is your community group doing all the right things? Are you in the watermark news? How much scripture do you know? Can you answer every question with scripture? That can be a, a name dropping or a spiritual name dropping. Spiritual name dropping. Oh well when I was at lunch with Todd the other day you know like <laughs> that that absolutely
1: happens at, in the church oh. as believers. so great point. The church is just full of sinners, but they're sinners who've been redeemed. So you're dealing with all the same stuff. Yes. Yeah.
0: That's really good. Ladies, we so appreciate your honesty. This is so yeah, it's good really good. There's not one perfect perf- person in this room, and so I think just
1: thanks, thanks for all of your honesty in this. When we, and when we bring things into the light, we're set free. Bringing these into the light is half of what is gonna set us free. And then taking them to the cross. Because James says, confess your sins one to another that you may receive healing. So this really when we just bring these things into the light and Christ's light can shine on them, we can be brought into healing and freedom. Okay, one more and then uh we're gonna take a break. Yeah, we're gonna take a break. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she has one more. I don't know this is called but like Looking at men as husband candidates.
0: Yes. Married with 2.5 kids and, yeah, the whole men yeah. going, going down the line. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Ladies, we could probably spend all morning yeah, talking about this, did. but we do want to give you a little bit of a break. There's food out there, the restrooms. If you just take a left and to the right, um, you'll run
1: into the restrooms. So let's come back um, in 10 minutes. 10 minutes.